Hey everyone and welcome to another edition, well that was loud, welcome to another edition of Responsive Design Weekly Podcast. Uh, my name is Justin Avery and I'm your host and curator of the Responsive Design Weekly newsletter as well, a newsletter all about responsive design and how things have changed over the years, it's about so much more now and we'll focus on a couple of those things. Uh, in this uh, edition, it's the first time back for a little while as well. Uh, I was aiming to do a lot in 2018 and uh, I was a bit slow off the mark. Uh, but I bumped into, I've been uh, to a few conferences so far this year, which has been pretty exciting. I got over to Berlin for, no, not Berlin. It wasn't even Berlin. I'm going to Berlin later. Um, it was for, it was to Munich for the first uh, first conference of the year, I would say, and the Beyond Telerang conference put on by Mark Thiele. Um, and it was amazing. I've not been back to Munich since uh, 2007 in a, in, a, in a younger, rather more drunken um, uh, Oktoberfest trip. Um, but it was much more enlightening this time around. Nowhere near as much beer, a lot more learning, uh, met a lot of great people and saw a lot of great speakers as well. And that was terrific. And then recently, the other week, I was at a uh, another conference, uh, the Smashing event. So the Smashing conferences uh, run by the team from Smashing Magazine. As you can imagine, they had a whole bunch of brilliant speakers. And this one was in London and it was all focused around performance uh, and my pick of the speakers, I'd say, was uh, there was a great, great talk uh, by Jack, uh, Jack, uh, by Jake Archibald, all about the event loop. And it was understanding kind of how browsers render web pages and how JavaScript is is rendered, and when the uh, when the layout um, when the layout is updated, and while sixty frames a second is really important, and some of the things that you can do to make sure that your web pages are performing in the right way. So it was super exciting. Um, and on that trip um, over to Germany and again when I uh, went to the uh, conference in London, I bumped into a, a gentleman called uh, Jonathan. Uh, he was working at both the conferences helping out and he's just started a new podcast as well and he was telling me all about it. It's called Block Thinking. Uh, so it's talking about uh, UX design. Uh, and design in general as well. So I'm going to be talking to him hopefully uh, in the next couple of weeks um, to do uh, a set of notebooks. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a notebook uh, that I have called uh, Back Pocket Notebooks and we do a responsive design notebook, we do guitar notebooks and uh, there's a whole bunch of different covers and we've just started doing some conference notebooks as well and we got talking about the difference between building web pages and creating something for print and the different aesthetics and, and the things that you have to think about. And it's just, it's using different parts of your brain. But um, yeah, it was really exciting having a chat with him. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll chat about that a little bit later. Um, but this week has been rather exciting. Um, I've, uh, last week was really good. Uh, I got to cover a whole bunch of performance things. Like I said, went to the, uh, the conference. But this week there's been a whole bunch of things come up. And I thought this is the week that I might get back into the podcasting and just run through a couple of the, the more... Um, the more juicy links for the week, I would say. And so I'm going to kick off with uh, I'm going to kick off with the biggest thing. Uh, there was earlier this week there was an AMP conference, and for those of you that are not aware, AMP is stands for Accelerated Mobile Pages, and it is a uh, I want to say it's, is it a movement? It's something which was created by uh, Google. Um, they put it forward first and it was supposed to be an open source approach to building faster web pages. 
Uh, and that came out probably about two years ago. And straight off the bat, there was a uh, there was a bit of uh, th- there were two sides. There were people who, or there was probably three sides to things. The people who were really behind it. Um, uh, there were people who were really against it, and there were probably people who were indifferent as well. Um, so as I cover off in the uh, the introduction to, to this week's newsletter, um, there has been a uh, there was a, a conference held over the thirteenth and fourteenth of February about accelerated mobile pre- uh, mobile pages where they've a- uh, announced a few new things. Um, and as a result of those announcements, there's been a lot of articles, again, that have surfaced around the positioning and the direction of AMP. Now, focusing specifically on the announcements that came out, um, Google has announced uh, Google Stories within AMP pages. So this gives you the ability to kind of build a multi-page page using AMP Stories. So I would say it's like it's Google's attempt to fight uh, with sort of Facebook stories, um, Instagram stories, Snapchat stories, uh, Twitter moments, this concept of um, these sort of uh, very visual uh, short copy bits that you can swipe from page to page to to learn about a story. So they've announced that they've uh, come up with that format for AMP pages. Um, And they're also pushing AMP pages for email as well or at least Gmail. So you're going to be able to have more interactive emails using the AMP format within Gmail. And they've got a few examples like Pinterest. You can like pins from within there. Um, They've got an example of uh, someone else uh, was like a travel booking system um, where you can book your travel from directly within your email as well. And like I said, whenever there's like these kind of announcements, you think about when Facebook changes the layout, right? As soon as they change the layout of their news stories or, or your or your news feed, there's just people up in arms. Or there's three types of people. Some people will absolutely love the changes. Uh, some people will hate the changes and and write on Facebook ad nauseum about how crap crap they are and a lot of other people will just be indifferent and and there's people in between that as well some people are slightly annoyed with it some people who slightly like it but at the end of the day people sort of get over it because it's just within the confines of um of uh of facebook itself so who really cares um but in this week's newsletter like i wanted to sort of it's not a public service announcement but i i feature and and i'll talk about a lot of articles that are looking at the negative aspects of the google amp project and it's not about the fact that they're um, what they're trying to achieve, what they say they're trying to achieve is a bad thing. It's not. It's a good thing. AMP pages are there because there was a problem with slow, bloated pages, and it was affecting the mobile web and people's opinion of the web. And that needs to be fixed. And AMP's approach and their their ethos. Uh, is around improving that, making pages faster for the mobile web. So we'll park that there. Uh, this week, like I said, there's uh, I'm featuring a lot of uh, negative aspects of the of the AMP project. And this podcast, it, it's not a negative podcast. I don't like to call things out. I, I have fairly strong opinions about some things, uh, not many opinions about other things. But every now and then, something will get get my back up a bit. 
Um, and this, this happens to be one of them, and I don't really know why. I can't articulate exactly why it does. So the newsletter is designed to bring you the latest articles and tutorials and tools and resources that I hope will make you become a better, uh, better builder of websites, a better designer of websites. Um, so I always strive to provide you with a full story and a complete oversight um, of all the different options that are there, I will occasionally have a particular opinion which will slant the content. This week, it is kind of slanted uh, for the anti-amp things, so I, I've chucked in a couple of positive things as well, like so you can have a, a full understanding. So I really encourage you, go and check out all the different um, articles for this week because there are some positive amp ones and there's some, there's some ones which maybe not negative, but they question the... Um, the theory behind it or, or the positioning behind it anyway. Um, so for, for me personally, before we get to the articles, like I've got, uh, I've kind of got these concerns. I can't, like I said, I can't articulate it properly. It, for me, it just, it doesn't feel right for the web. Like the approach that they're taking just doesn't quite feel right. Um, fortunately, there's folks out there who are much better at articulating things like uh, Tim Cadillac and Ethan, uh, Ethan Marcotte and Jeremy Keith. Um, so I've included uh, articles from them. They articulate it quite well. Um, I think at the end of the day, we all want fast performance websites that don't drain our batteries and provide us the content that we need without using our monthly data plan within a couple of pages. All right? So I think if we focus on that goal, then we're all good. Um, and we just shouldn't get tied into any proprietary things. Um, I remember a long time ago when I heard about when I heard about AMP. One of the first things that uh, I heard one of the developers on AMP, and I thought it was a lead developer. I, I'm probably wrong, but they were talking about it being a framework to create pages, and they likened it to jQuery. Now I really like this. They likened it to jQuery in that what jQuery did is it filled a gap in the market. We had a whole bunch of browsers that uh, treated JavaScript differently. It was really hard to write JavaScript uh, for people like myself to know all the uh, interoperable like browser tweaks and, and quirks that they all had. Um, and so what jQuery did is it provided this framework to allow people to write uh, jQuery or JavaScript um, once and in fairly... Uh, fairly simple terms, right? So it was, you, you had like a toggle class. So you do dot toggle, which would toggle something. And that was really good. Like dot get, it would go and get something. Uh, it was really simple and easier to understand um, how to write JavaScript logically to be able to achieve things in the with JavaScript in the browser. Now, over time, Browsers have caught up, JavaScript has advanced, and JavaScript has started to include some of these really simple um, uh, sort of simple calls, simple APIs that we can use that are negating the requirement to use jQuery. Now, jQuery's original positioning was that they hoped that jQuery would one day never be required, like it would make itself extinct. Um, as soon as the browsers all caught up and JavaScript got to a point which was achieving what we wanted it to achieve without writing tons and tons and make it just easier to write JavaScript. And I think um, with the, the latest advancement with JavaScript, we're really, really close to that. And you're finding that more and more people are dropping jQuery from their projects. That's what I thought 
and what I was really keen AMP for AMP to be. AMP should be this temporary fix to a bloated problem we have on the web. We have built all of these sites that are, are really large, that they're, they're old. Um, we went from this M dot, everyone hated this M dot, Google or against this M dot. You shouldn't have separate websites. Um, you should have one website, a responsive website that can adapt to all different devices. And I, I really love that. And I love the fact that the web got behind that movement. Uh, you can't half guess with a with a podcast and a, and a newsletter about responsive design, but I really loved that approach. And um, and when AMP came out, I was I was like, yeah, they're they're trying to fix this problem. They're providing us with this like in between solution of people having these slow bloated websites that they're going to fix the next time they do this iteration. But in the meantime, everyone can use AMP so that their websites are faster and people will enjoy uh, reading content from them a lot more. What it feels like is that somehow that's changed over time. Um, it's no longer a stopgap solution. It feels like it's now part of Google's um, Google's approach to their business. Like it's a it's a new Google. It feels like it's a new Google thing that they're going to hang uh, lots of their hats on, like. Google Stories, like um, Gmail, uh, supporting AMP pages for interactivity within there, and that's and that's where it starts becoming like I think it starts becoming a, a bit of an issue. So uh, one of the first articles that I've got uh, for this week was uh, from Tim Cadlick, and it's called "The Two Faces of AMP," and it's it's great. It goes through. Um, he mentions that he wrote an article the first time AMP was released, like straight away, and. Uh, at the end of the day, it kind of finally boiled up and there is an AMP letter. So if you want to go to uh, ampletter.org, it's a letter from um, a the web community, a web community, uh, a series of people who uh, think like-minded and similar to myself, um, which is to the AMP team and to, to Google to say, um, these are our concerns with the direction and these are the things that we would like you to try and um, to look at. And the letter's not that long, but there's uh, a few people which have signed up to it. Um, you can do a pull request in GitHub, and you can put your name to it if you want. So the two primary changes that we're looking for it to make is instead of, and I'll read it out, so it's instead of granting premium placement in search results only to AMP, provide the same perks to all pages that meet an objective, neutral performance criteria such as a speed index. Publishers can then use any technical solution of their choice. Now, before I read the second point, the the thing which uh, Google had come out to say is that um, AMP pages do not get any preferential treatment in search results. And to be fair, in the in the standard search results, that is true. If you do a, a Google search, you shouldn't see an AMP search, uh, an AMP page come up above another page in the Google results, the typical Google results. Where it changes, though, is that there's uh, prior to these stories, there was a news carousel or a carousel which sat above the regular search results in the same way that ads can sometimes sit above it. But this was something which looked part of the search results, but you had to have an AMP page to be able to get into that carousel. So all of a sudden, it's not so much about wanting a better performing website. 
is the reason you go to AMP because you might have a really performant website that works faster than AMP. But because you want to reach this carousel, you need to put your site, make an alternative version of your site as an AMP version. You have to do that to get in the carousel. So that's what this request is. This is the first part. It's not allowing premium placements in the search results only for AMP pages because that kind of is, is Google using their massive, massive impact as, a, as the number one destination when anyone goes onto the web as a reason for people to use a product that is there that they're pushing. So that's the first one. It should be, if any, if my site is faster than an AMP page, why shouldn't I be able to sit in that carousel as well? If AMP is all about making faster performant websites, then it should be a level playing field, if that is what it is about. Um, the second one is do not display third-party content within a Google page unless it's clear to the user that they're looking at a Google product. It's perfectly acceptable for Google to uh, launch a newsreader, but it's not acceptable to display a page that carries only third-party branding on what is actually a Google URL, nor to require that third party to use a Google hosting in order to appear in search results. Now, the thing with this is that even if you, uh, if you do create your AMP pages and you host your own AMP pages, um, the only way that you appear in this carousel as well is if you are being served from the Google cache. So instead of when someone clicks on one of these results, instead of going to responsivedesign.is, you go to google.com slash amp slash responsivedesign.is slash the rest of my URL. So you don't actually land on my site. You stay on Google and you consume content on the Google domain. Now, the other one bit about that is that it's not clear because they hide the URL. Um, you can't see it. Um, and it's not immediately obvious that you are still on the Google URL. There is a little, uh, like a link, uh, a little chain in the top, which uh, if you click on, gives you an option to link directly to the article itself. So directly to the site. But kind of what it does is it keeps people in the Google e ecosystem. Um, for this one, I'm not hugely I don't have a huge issue with it but it still it keeps people on the Google domain um, which it, it just doesn't feel right it doesn't feel like the open web and like it should it doesn't feel like this approach doesn't feel as if the reason for this is a faster open web this feels like the reason for this is to keep people within the Google domain for a longer period of time now there is a, a technical reason that they do this in particular, uh, an AMP page on its own isn't the fastest thing in the world. It's got a blocking JavaScript file on the head. Um, you can create far, you can create more performant pages yourself without using the AMP, um, the AMP product, um, just by being smart and creating a website that is performant. Uh, if you follow all the rules that they do, you end up with a really fast site. What Google has uh, to their advantage is they've got like a billion servers around the world. Um, they've got a really good caching um, and their their DNS is like built into to everyone. Like everyone already has google.com um, ready and sorted. Uh, so what you're getting 
being on that domain is a faster loading website because Google is serving your website up for you instead of your own servers. So that, that's the reason behind it. That's the technical reason behind it, I think. So that was um, that was uh, Tim's sort of take. Now, Tim goes into a lot more uh, about it as well, so I think you should uh, definitely check it out. Um, his final comment is around like, look, um, if you're either a tool for the open web or you're a tool for Google search, I don't mind if you're the latter, but please stop pretending you're something else. And I think that's the main point is that the if it's, if it's advantageous for Google, just come out and say it's advantageous for Google and don't hide behind the uh, the open web thing. Um, someone else has written, uh, Ferdy Christian, uh, has written an article um, about AMP as well, um, saying that, the, like I mentioned before, inherently it's not the fact that they're a faster page because we can build faster pages. Um, the reason it feels so instant when you click on one of the links uh, from the Google carousel is because it's actually when you go onto a search result, it preloads all of the content from the articles that land in that carousel, regardless of whether you are going to click on them or not. So that in itself is a little, I mean, it's sneaky, it's tricky, it's 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 good. It it appears faster. It's um, it is uh, what is it? It's perceived performance, right? The pages don't load any faster. It's just the fact that they load them into cache beforehand. Um, it's not cheating. I think it's just taking advantage of, of a situation that you're on. But I mean, if we were on our own sites and we started preloading all of the pages on our site, just in case someone clicks on them, that would be looked at as a probably a negative approach because we shouldn't be loading things that the user won't want in the end. So it's, it's a difficult one that I can see why they're doing it, and and I'm happy for faster pages. But yeah, it's a it's a bit nasty. The only uh, the one nice thing is that although they do preload stuff, they are only preloading the HTML, and they're probably just preloading the first like above the fold. I say in air quotes. So that could be okay, depending on on how you look at it, um, because all the images are inherently they're they're all uh, lazy loaded. So you won't be downloading a whole bunch of images. At least that's that's where I sit. My understanding of it anyway. Um, but do go along. So if you go to uh, ampproject.org, that is all the information you can get at um, on the AMP project. You can go and check out how you can create a visual AMP story. These look really, really cool. And I'm kind of really excited at the prospect of having your kind of Instagram style stories and your Snapchat style stories just for the web, like outside of um, outside of a, uh, a native app. So that's kind of cool, uh, but on the flip side, I'm, I'm yeah, still not a huge fan um, of AMP itself. Um, Ethan Marco also writes about it as well. Um, he comments uh, very similar um, around uh, Tim Cadillac as well. Um, there was one bit, uh, so he encourages people that if you if you have a concern about it, go and sign the open letter for AMP as well. Um, but he, he likened it to uh, some lectures that he's been listening to, um, which is Ursula Franklin's original lectures on the real-world technology. Um, and he quotes her and he says, more and more decisions are made in a technological mold, which is very difficult to influence through democratic and egalitarian decision-making. And we will be faced again and again and in a number of guises with that question of democratic decision-making in technical and technological matters. So it's a bit deep and, and full on. Um, but 
what happens is that you make the decisions. I think what what they're saying is you're making the decisions by, with, and for technology, um, but they're done outside of any governance or regulation, and and that's kind of what this is done. There's there's no regulation around this stuff. Um, and the technology, like the capabilities that Google has as a superpower is um, is sort of forcing the hand of people moving towards that technology. Um, and for, to quote Ethan, he says, as of this moment, the power dynamics are skewed pretty severely in favor of Google's proprietary AMP standard. And for those uh, against those of us who ask the question, what can I do about AMP? Um, so it's interesting, and I can see Google want to compete with um, Facebook Instant Articles and Apple News and everything out there as well. So I get their approach. Uh, i just not sure that um, AMP is the uh, the golden egg of a performance thing that they're making it out to be. Um, but they've also got, like I said, they've got Gmail, uh, a preview of AMP in Gmail, uh, which is quite exciting. And at the moment, they are taking on uh, developers like uh, for people to to build uh, developer preview stuff. Um, yeah, like I said, the examples they've got there, um, they've got Pinterest liking pins from directly within the AMP, uh, within email. But again, I think this is very uh, similar along the veins of I would rather, I don't mind going to someone's site and engaging with it. I don't want to sort of be browsing another site inside of my Gmail window. So while it sounds kind of cool, I'm not sure whether or not that's going to be a, a huge Huge thing to take off. So it's been kind of it's been very negative and ranty so far, um, but that's just that's just how I am on a Thursday night these days, just negative and ranty. Um, but like I said, do go and read about AMP and all the other things as well, because you should be making an informed decision, not specifically listening. Uh, to me um, about it all but definitely go and read what's out there Uh, one of the other amazing links for this week which is going to be probably like the feature link um, just so I don't uh, hate on uh, AMP so much hate is a very strong word I don't I don't hate AMP I just I question Um, yeah Frank uh, Chimero has written uh, a wonderful essay uh, formed out of a talk which he's done uh, late last year and earlier this year uh, called everything easy is hard again Um, He spent a little bit of time away working with a little startup of his called Abstract, and he's just come back, and he got back into design, uh, opened his little studio again, and his first couple of projects were web design uh, projects. And he said he sort of opened up the swathe of tools and looked at the processes and was like, what the heck has gone on here? Um, Just how complicated we've made things over the last three years. Um, and and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful article. Um, it kind of starts at like uh, where he started sort of twenty years ago building sites. We had um, table displays, and then we had float left. Now we have display. Then we had display flex. Now we have display grid. And has that gone back to kind of table layout style as well? Um, it hasn't. Grid is way different to tables, but it is an interesting comparison to look back on. And one of the uh, one of the wonderful things about this article um, or this essay, I find uh, really good, um, is the look at how uh, how behind the times and how much harder it is for anyone getting started in web development or web design these days. So if I think back to when I started uh, building websites, it's like the late nineties. I was, uh, 
uh, we would go into like GeoCities or we'd go into a website and I would kind of right click and view source and then you could just copy and paste that into a notepad um, and save it and you could it made sense like you had HTML tag you had a head tag and the head tag was just a title element there's nothing else um, and in the body tag there was just text there was a couple of H1s H2s H3s there was some A tags as well um, there's some HRs that probably might have been a blink tag or two but you could really uh, there were image tags as well at that stage um, but you could really easily understand how that site was put together just by looking at the source code it made sense and I think so many of us in that period things like CSS Zen Garden um, a list apart uh, even back then, we just we learned so much by looking at how someone created something, and then we're able to refactor that, rebuild it ourselves, and and improve upon that. And then someone else would look at our work, and they would look at the view source, and they would take that code, and then they would work out how we did it, and and do it again, but do it a little bit better, a little bit different. And someone else would learn, and and it was just this continuing learning experience. And even like uh, like six years ago or something, or uh, probably up until about two years ago um, I was still uh, doing a lot of examples in the in the responsive site um, I was going on uh, looking at websites pulling them apart looking at uh, how the site was put together what classes were being used I could I could tell frameworks I could tell what JavaScript was being used I could work out all the media queries it, it made sense and I could reconstruct how someone put that together and I could write about it and I could explain to others how it was put together so people could learn about how to build websites in this new responsive world. But recently, and the same thing um, that Frank was talking about with, with this uh, young designer he was just uh, talking to at a conference, I think, it's the, the new designers and developers these days are at a disadvantage because we build all of this structure and we overcomplicate things um, perhaps for reasons, uh, I don't know what they are, but we overcomplicate CSS now. Like we have SAS, which is wonderful, and I use SAS, but uh, at the end I have this uh, like thing spat out as a header, all right? And it's got like the, the font size and, and, and all the things in there. But there's all this other work that goes on behind the scenes and all these SAS partial files which contribute towards this end product, which is then minified and zipped up. And yes, we have some tools that can pull it out um, so we can see it clearer. But it's it's harder for someone to, someone will look at my CSS and go, oh my goodness, he's like, this is someone who like might not have seen SAS before or was just getting into it. Be like, why, why did he declare like a media query 73 times, the same media query 73 times throughout the document instead of just, doing it once and then putting everything in it. And of course, if you've used SAS and if you've done um, mixins, then you kind of know that you would declare like a, a breakpoint mixin in there and you would declare all of your styles for a particular module in one area. And then when that gets spat out, it just makes it look like there's lots and lots of um, media queries being uh, used, which, which is kind of true, but that, that all compresses down uh, when we need it. But if you didn't have that, there's no real way of understanding that unless someone tells you, unlike the years before where we could pull things apart. And JavaScript, that's even worse. Like people uglify it, like concatenate it. Like you might write really clean 
JavaScript, but when you compress it all together, it just spits out a bunch of like weird letters and commas and and uh, and semicolons that I, I, I don't even understand well-written JavaScript, let alone ones that have been uglified and compressed. So people are at a real disadvantage. It's a lot harder to get started, I think, in, in the web these days. Um, but yeah, definitely go and read Frank's. You can see I quite liked his uh, article, but definitely go and check that out as well. It's very, very cool. Um, what else have we got this week? Uh, there's some other, uh, there are some other really good articles, but there was one other that I wanted to pull out specifically if I can get pinboard to load in time. Um, uh, oh yeah. So there's, uh, two others, which I think is really good. Uh, one is, uh, an article on smashing magazine from Aaron Gustafson, uh, about, uh, native and, and progressive web apps. He's saying you have choices. There's they're not challenges. So he's got probably four or five examples about a situation you might be in. So whether you have an existing native app, um, you've got a native app and a website. Uh, you might have a cross-platform app um, that you're that you're writing, which gets sort of like turned into a Windows app and a BlackBerry and an Android and an iOS. Probably just the latter two, um, and just what you can do, and the the decisions and the things that you should consider depending on whether or not you should go progressive web app or, or stick with your native side as well. So that's a really great article, native and PWA choices, not challenges, um, from Aaron on smashing. And the final one is uh, like a date. Get your diaries out. All right, get your diaries. Uh, twenty eighteen July. All right, those in there. And then in big, big red letters, or maybe go 2018 in June, let's go the month before, in big red letters must be HTTPS by then. All right. So what Chrome is doing, uh, what we'll be doing in July, is that they're going to be labeling all of the sites that are not running on HTTPS as not secure in the browser. So in the browser window at the moment, if you go and visit a HTTPS site, your browser bar kind of lights up green. There's like a little green tab next to it uh, with like a little lock and you sort of feel happy that, yes, I'm on a safe site. Um, most people don't notice it. Like my people, some people at work that I work with, I'm definitely sure my, my dad, my mum, they wouldn't notice that there's a green lock there. Um, they just go about using the site. What? Google are going to change is that they're going to put the words not secure next to any site that is not running HTTPS. And other browsers will follow this as well. I know Firefox in Firefox Nightly at the moment already has it in behind a flag. Um, you can test out Chrome as well to see what it's going to look like in July. If you've got uh, Chrome Canary, you can, uh, again, I think it's behind a flag, uh, but you can see what it's going to look like. Um, it's a really big deal. Like I remember a few years ago when Google had like a particular date, it was like the 23rd of May or something. They were like, from here on in, we're going to penalize people if they're not, if they don't have responsive websites. So if you, if you just had a desktop site, you were going to get penalized in the search ranking. So it's like, everyone must work towards responsive design. It was great. It was so good. So good for the web um, by, by taking that stand. And, and I think this is another great stand with, with browsers pushing this. Um, and forcing, uh, well, I would say penalizing people that are on HTTP um, and and massively calling out that they're not secure. This will be a big thing. So it's in July that it's going to start. Um, 
And I think it's going to have a really big impact. So it's going to put doubt in your users' minds whether or not you're a trustworthy uh, service. So I think if you say, if it says not secure, I don't care if it's just your blog, um, the words not secure on the internet are, are massive alarm bells for anyone. Um, so definitely, definitely, if you haven't done it yet, put HTTPS on your site. There's two really quick things you could do. Um, if you're kind of half savvy with hosting, um, Let's Encrypt does it for free. You don't have to pay for any uh, any SSLs anymore if you don't want to. So use Let's Encrypt if you can. Um, the other one is Cloudflare. You can use Cloudflare as well. Um, it's not as good as using uh, the Let's Encrypt because it's like a shared certificate among other sites that will share it. Uh, but you will get HTTPS in front of your website and it won't have this error message as well. And so that's about it. Oh, one last thing from uh, if you are running a uh, not-for-profit uh, or a, a creative, oh, what are they called, like an open source project, um, and it's a reasonable size and you get lots of traffic, Cloudflare are offering, depending, you have to uh, put in a request for it, um, but on their pro plan, uh, they are giving away free pro plans for people who meet the criteria, uh, who are not-for-profit, who are doing something for something good for the greater web. So like Node.js is on it, um, Bootstrap is on it, um, there's a number of other people which... Uh, or HTML5 boilerplate is on it. There's a number of people who are getting free services from uh, Cloudflare. It has a free tier anyway, but there's better stuff on the professional. Um, I think I don't mind paying for it because wonderful uh, sponsors sponsor things like this podcast and, and sponsor the newsletter. So I'm able to put uh, some of that money towards hosting and things like Cloudflare to make uh, the website faster. Um, but if you are a not-for-profit, there's definitely that opportunity there. You should definitely take advantage of it if you can. All right. It seems like I don't do any podcasts for months and then I just ramble on for a long time. So thank you for everyone for getting to the end of this one. I really appreciate it. Um, if you want to catch some of those links, head over to responsivedesign.is. And on the homepage, there is a, some latest news. So there's a couple of news items articles that go up each week in there. Um, there's also the newsletter. So you can subscribe to the newsletter in the footer of responsivedesign.is. Um, I also post the newsletters to that site in our articles section as well. Um, you can also go to responsivedesignweekly.com, which still has a sign-up form there. And that way you get all of these uh, lovely articles delivered to you every Friday morning uh, for your morning commute or your lazy start to Friday if you want to do some uh, training and development for the day. Uh, you can follow at ResWebDes for updates on Twitter as well. And if you're listening to this, rate me up in uh, in iTunes is wonderful. That's how people find the show as well. And I just came across if you like uh, if you've ever been on Goodreads, which is like a uh, peer to peer uh, book rating site, I suppose, recommend different books, follow people who have similar interests to you and you can find uh, new books. I just came across a an app uh, called Echo, um, which is uh, Goodreads for podcasts. So go and check that out. I've just joined and I've got a couple of recommendations from people who also listen to things like Shop Talk Show and, and Tools Day 
um, as well, which are, which are two of my favorites. But yeah, go check that out. And if you find us, recommend us. That would be super awesome. Um, but that's all for me this week. Thank you for tuning in. And I will see you. Hopefully, you can hear me again next week if we can keep this up. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.